Friends, we're so glad that you've joined us here today. My name's Kevin, and I'm one of the pastors here at Friends Church in Orange. And whether you're watching this message online or listening to it in your car or on a run or wherever you are today, it's our hope that the words that are shared, that the message of God that is shared in this message will give you hope, life, and encouragement as you seek to live faithfully for Jesus in the midst of your world. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so by going to our website. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to connect with you. And we'd love to serve you in any way we can. Hi, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's a little gray outside. And we, I didn't expect that. And here we are. But here we are. You guys made it. You made it through the you know, potential of rain like you're here. So well done. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And I'm excited today because we're going to be continuing our series through Transformed. We're talking about what does it look like to live a transformed life. And so we've been going through the book of Romans, starting in Romans 12. We're going to go all the way to Romans 16. So today we'll be in Romans 13. So if you want to get ahead of it, you can already turn, turn there in your Bibles. Uh, but before we get into that, I was thinking about morning routines because all of us have them, right? We've got our morning routines. Uh, about a year, year-ish ago, my wife got a new job where she has really early morning meetings now. It's like 6 a.m. She's up on like East Coast clients and stuff. And so I get the beautiful opportunity to hang out with my boys from 6 to 7.30 to get them out the door to get them to school. And if, I have two boys. So if you've ever tried to get kids up and out the door, you can understand it's a little bit tricky sometimes. And when I say sometimes, I mean every single day. Because it's a battle. It is. It really is. It's like, all right, we got to leave at 7.30. So I just back up the timeline, right? I'm like, all right, we got to be at 7.30, which means if we're not like literally at the door by 7.20, because we're going to inevitably forget 15 things, then we're, then we're too late. Got to go to 7.10. Well, if we're not at this point by 7.10, if by 7 o'clock they're not eating breakfast, if they're not in the kitchen, or if they aren't changed, like I already know we're already late. It's not like we're going to be late. We're already late, right? So it's like, we're just, we got to back those things all the way. And my favorite question that my boys ask me, they do it like every single day is they say, Dad, I'll be in the kitchen. They're like literally on the other side of the house changing. And I'll be like, Dad, what's the weather going to be like today? Guys, we live in Southern California. I don't know if you know this. 85% of the time, I'm like, it's going to be 75 to 80 degrees and sunny, maybe a little cold in the morning, and then maybe like a light jacket, and then you can take the jacket off at the end of the day. Like every single day, it's the same answer. And what's hilarious is my boys, are, they're completely opposite. So my oldest, he's like always cold. So if I said it's going to be 80 degree day, he'll come out of his room with, with sweatpants on, maybe thermals underneath that, and like a long sleeve shirt and a sweatshirt. And he's like, can I, where's my puffer jacket? I need to put that on. I'm like, dude, it's going to be 85 degrees today. You will sweat your brains out in PE. And he's like, I don't care. My room is cold in my you know, classroom. Okay. My other son, on the other hand, He'll come out. I'm like, dude, it's going to be 55 degrees today and raining. He's like, cool. Shorts, t-shirt. He's like, I'm ready to go, dad. And I'm like, you're not ready. You're going to be too cold. Neither of them understand what it actually means to be ready for their day. They like want to do what they want to do for the day, but they don't actually like know how to prepare for their own days, right? So it made me think about, okay, those are my kids. They don't know quite what they need to do. And as their parent, they're lucky that they have me, you know, to help them like stay warm or be cold or help them regulate their own temperatures. Uh, but I also think about my own schedule, and I have to think about my day. What am I going to wear? Is it going to be cold or not? Then I have to start thinking, okay, what about my calendar? Like, what's, what's coming up on my calendar today? Oh, yeah, I've got those things. Okay, I've got to prepare for that. I've got to mentally prepare. Sometimes I've got to spiritually prepare, right, for what's, what's coming. And each one of us, we have this opportunity to prepare. I don't know. Are any of you, like, put your clothes out the night before kind of people? A few of you? Okay, okay. 
Not surprising, I know who you are in the room, that's great. And I'm coming to you and I need things organized, all right? Yeah, I'm not that at all. I'm actually the opposite. I'm more like, I just, I, sometimes I look before the night before, like what's coming up the next day, but oftentimes I'll just wake up and by the time I get the boys to school, I'll be like, oh shoot, I forgot to look at my calendar. And I miss so many meetings at like 8.30, you know, cause I'm like, oh, I forgot I had that. So I'm trying to get better. I'm figuring out what do I need to do in my life? How do I need to be intentional about getting where I need to go? Cause here's what I've learned about myself. When I'm not intentional with my day or my calendar or my schedule, I actually tend to fall behind. I miss out who I actually want to be because I'd like it to be nice and easy, right? I'd love it to be like, hey, I just show up and I react to things and it's like, life is good, everything works out. But it doesn't. And sometimes things are really hard and I'm like, I wish I had been more prepared for that. I wish I had even thought about the likelihood of whatever this is gonna happen. And that's true in my physical life. And I think it's true for you guys too, right? In your physical life, some of you are just wing it kind of people. Some of you are like well-organized and disciplined and on top of things. But no matter where you're at on the spectrum, each one of us has a way that we are intentional about our lives, about what we want to become, where we want to go, what we want to do. And it's not just physical lives. It's also our spiritual lives, right? Well, maybe I'm assuming too much, right? I'm assuming that we want to have a growth. We want to grow towards maturity, whatever that might look like. But I know for myself, there are a lot of days, even more so in my real life, that I just kind of want to be like, you know what? I hope I become a better person today, and I'll just go throughout my day and just see what happens. And I got to tell you, rarely does it work out that way. Usually I'm like, oh, man, that was a really, that didn't turn out quite the way I thought it was going to turn out. I wasn't very intentional about my day. And so This idea of intentionality, we're going to come back to it during this message because we're looking at this idea of transformation. What does it look like to become something completely different? And if we're not intentional, there's not any kind of way towards it, then we're going to find that we're just going to wing it through life and not become who we would want to be. Ultimately, we need to transform our perspective. So we learn and are looking at today that a transformed perspective leads to a transformed life. A transformed perspective, how you view your life in the world and what's happening, leads to a transformed life. As we've been going through Romans, we started in Romans 12, and we've had this phrase that we've used every single week so far, is that we want to trust God, trust his power, and trust his plan. Trust God, trust his power, trust his plan. Meaning transformation happens through trust. If you don't trust the process, if you don't trust the one that's making the process happen, you'll never become all that you can be. So there's an element of trust in transformation. And it all goes back to Romans 12 that we started with. So I'm actually going to have us all read it together. We're going to read Romans 12, 1 through 2, uh, all together, just to remind us where we started in this series. Let's read it together. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We will be able to approve and test what God's will is. And the biggest thing that we've learned is that transformation happens in view of God's mercy. God is merciful to us. He's given us grace, and he says, I want to help you to grow, to become all that you can be. It's in view of his mercy. And ultimately, it's saying we are surrendering our lives, right? So a transformed life is a life of surrender to God. A transformed life is a life of surrender to God. Okay, so that's all, that's all background. That's where we started. That's where kind of we're going. And today, as we jump into Romans 13, we're going to look at this idea of a new perspective. And so the first few verses that we were looking at in chapter 13 ended with love, and we're talking about then government, and then love, and do everything in love. And today, Paul cranks up the urgency in the message 
all of a sudden there's a sense of like something is happening right now and you're going to pick it up. So we're going to read all of Romans 13 verses 11 through 14. Uh, if you have your Bibles, pull them out right now. It's a great time. If you don't, it's going to be on the screens. We've also got Bibles in the back. You got Bibles on your phones. We got Bibles everywhere. Okay, let's read Romans 13 starting verse 11. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day, it's almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Going back to verses 11 and 12, right at the beginning, you sense this urgency from Paul. He's saying, guys, wake up. Read it again. Do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. The first thing that Paul is saying to us, it's time to wake up. You guys ever tried to wake up a teenager? Wake up! Wake up! This is what I think about when Paul's saying this. He's literally like, guys, wake up. Don't you understand? And I say about a teenager because teenagers, by the time they do wake up, the time's already passed. Like you've been trying to wake them up and wake them up and wake them up. By the time they get up, it's like, you're already late. It's like with my kids, you're already late, guys. And so Paul is bringing this sense of urgency to this passage. And as he's saying this, then we have to ask the question, well, then what in the world is it time to wake up for, Paul? What are we gonna be late for? What are we missing? Like, I thought we were already like, we're living life, we're, we're following Jesus. What are we going to miss? And so in verse 12, we find the key. He says this, the night is nearly over and the day is almost here. And this day that he refers to here, a lot of scholars think that this actually refers to the day of the Lord, right? It's this idea of the second coming of Christ. So it's not just like, hey, it's almost daylight, guys, like wake up actually physically. It's saying, wake up because Jesus is almost coming back. That's what he's saying. That's the urgency. Back to verse 11, when he says, in light of this present time, meaning we're in this in-between. So if you're not familiar with this, so Jesus, he died, he buried, and then he rose again. And he showed up to his disciples. He said, guys, I hear some words for you. And then he says, I'm going to go away. I'm going to go be with my father in heaven, but I will come back one day. And then he leaves. And his disciples, they didn't think, oh, one day, meaning like maybe in like 2,000 years, maybe in like 5,000 years. They were thinking immediately. There was an immediacy that Paul and the disciples were thinking about. They were like, Christ is gonna come back in our lifetime. So when you read the New Testament and you read about people talking about Jesus coming back soon, they're not thinking about us. They're not thinking 2,000 years later. They're thinking like, this might happen any day, any moment. There was urgency that they had. And over 2,000 years, you would hope that the urgency would grow, but I feel like, if anything, the urgency has done the opposite. There's not an urgency. Jesus, maybe he'll come back someday, in the future, like we look back, and it's been so long. But I think what Paul is trying to say is, no, it could be any time and it matters. Because the day of the Lord, as he talks about, it's this idea of the second coming of Jesus. And when Jesus comes back, he's gonna make all things new. Don't you need things new in your life? Don't you need renewal? Don't you need new life? Don't you need a new world around you? When he does, he's gonna make all things right and new. He's actually gonna bring heaven fully to earth. And we read about this in Revelations 21, which is the last book of the Bible. And it talks about the end days when Christ returns. And I'm gonna read this. It's a little lengthy, but it just, it describes so well what this end of days is gonna look like. This is the apostle John. He has a vision. He says, then I saw 
a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, they had passed away and then there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus says, when I come, I will make everything new. The day of the Lord is something not to, to be afraid of. It's something to hope for, to say, I want this new, li- this new life, this new reality that Paul talks about, that he talks about here in Revelations. This is what it means. There's a hope and an expectation. And Paul's trying to say, wake up, guys, it's coming. Aren't you ready? And it's so interesting because one of the things we think about with that is it's gonna be amazing and all things new in this Revelation passage. But there's another part of Jesus' second coming that we don't love to talk about as much. And that's more the idea of judgment, right? When Jesus comes back, it's not just gonna be everything new. It's also gonna be like, it's time. Like you don't have any more time. Your time's run out. Like it's time. Judgment is here. What have you done with your life? And we read about this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, I have to say, this part of our theology is really hard for me because I want the Jesus is going to come back and everything's going to be amazing and new and wonderful, but I don't want that Jesus is going to judge my actions piece because I'm like, well, I'm trying, you know, I'm doing the best I can. And yet when it says that Jesus is going to come back and judge, there's got to be some way that it, that it works. That if you are in Christ and you are under his grace, like it's all okay. He's got you. And yet there's still a standard of living that he says, how you live matters. So taking these two things together, there's something about our Christian life that says, if I'm a Christian and I'm in, under grace, I still have an obligation to Christ to live according to how Christ would want me to. Now, how does that work with truth and grace and like God gives us grace, but I want to act like, I don't know. We're not going to unpack all that today, but I do want to tell you, it matters how you live. And I can tell you that because that's how Jesus talks about it. And that's how Paul talks about it here in Romans. It matters how you live. And so therefore, in light of this reality, as Paul's talking about, it's time to wake up because if Jesus is coming back, don't you want to be ready? Don't you want to be about the things that he would want you to be about? And one of the things I, I found about waiting is there's kind of two ways we can look at it when we're waiting for something. There's, there's two ways that we grow. We either can grow towards hunger, hungry for the day to come, yearning, waiting, or we can grow towards complacency, right? Lose hope or a sense of urgency, just let life pass us by. And this is so true with so many things, right? If you're like waiting for, for, um, for a baby to come, right? You're like, you're waiting and you're waiting and waiting. And at some point you're like, I don't wanna be waiting anymore. I just, this baby has to be here now. You know, there's like, a, you wait for it, but it grows an expectation because you're like, I can't wait. But sometimes in waiting, we're tempted to just lose faith, to lose hope, to say, like, if I looked at this, I'm like, well, it's been 2,000 years, Jesus. Like, what's another 2,000, you know? just doesn't really matter. And I grow towards complacency. Maybe what I do doesn't really matter. Maybe in my life, I can just do what I want. But one of the things that the Bible talks often about, and it was actually referenced there in Revelations, is that Jesus is the groom and we as the church are his bride. And when Jesus comes back, he's the groom coming back for his bride. 
And when I think about that, I think, do I want to be a type, it's going to sound weird as a bri- the bride, but as a, as a church, do I want to be the type of person that's unfaithful? Saying when Jesus comes back, I'll be like, hey, it took you too long, you know? I kind of went and did my own thing over here. Or do I want to say, I've been waiting, waiting and waiting and waiting. So one of our, our challenges today is how are we growing and waiting? Are you growing towards complacency in your life to say it just doesn't really seem to matter that much? Or... Are we growing towards saying there's hope and expectation someday Jesus is going to come and it's going to matter? Some of the things that I realized, like, it's, it's easy to lose urgency because, one, there's an amount of time, right? It's been 2,000 years since Jesus said he's going to come back, and we're like, well, the world could sure, could sure use you now, you know? Like, maybe 2,000 years ago, sure, but, like, now even more so, right? God, like, come, be here now with us. It's hard because we haven't seen it happen, so we lose a sense of urgency there. Sometimes it's just hard, to maintain hope and vigilance because it's time. As you know, over life, like things happen, your pattern of life happens and you just kind of, you, it's like, eh, okay, I just kind of fall off. And then a lot of times life is just hard, right? I'm like, I don't have time to think about Jesus and think about him coming back because I'm just trying to get through today. I've got to make money. I've got to make sure I, I survive. I've got to make sure my kids are okay. Like, I've got to take care of these things. Like I'm living just with the sense of now because everything feels urgent. So it's not, a, it's not a, a sense of, you know, like we should feel bad, like, oh, how we've lost urgency. Just a sense of, hey, wake up. It's time. So if you're feeling bad, it's like, that's okay. Get over it. It's time now. Just wake up. Jesus is coming back. And Paul's reminder is we don't want to live unaware. One of the things I love about Alpha as a, a group that we run here is that it's an opportunity to come and ask like really fun questions. And week two of Alpha, we always ask the same question of the group. We say, if Jesus came back right now, if he just walked in through that back door, what would you do or what would you say? And the answers are fascinating, right? Sometimes the answers are like, ah, I didn't do it. Like, ah, I'm caught. Sometimes the answers are like, I did it. I know, I know, I did. I'm sorry, I know. Sometimes the answers are like, I would just weep. If Jesus came in, I would just break down and cry because I would love to see him face to face. Some people say, if Jesus came back, I would have a lot of questions. Hey, I had a question about this thing or that thing. But no matter what, if Jesus came back, ask yourself that question. What would you say right now to him? How would you feel? Would you be like, just give me like five more minutes, Jesus. Like, I'm not quite, I'm almost ready. Jesus, give me just another day. Give me another week. I'm almost there. I'm almost ready. Or to be like, oh, I've been waiting. Yes, finally, you're here. And so Paul, he, he gives us this idea of what do we do in the waiting? What do we need to do right now in light of the fact that Jesus is coming at any moment? In our lives, what we do, how we live actually matters. He gets really practical, verse 12. He just says this, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And he uses this phrase, put aside and put on, which is a phrase he uses a lot in his letters where he says, put something aside and put something else on. It's really black and white. Do this and don't do this. It's a way to contrast things. And when he says, put on the armor of light, I love this phrase because it's, it's either, I don't know if it's light made of armor or it's armor made of light, or I don't know how it's working, but either way, the light is expelling the darkness. If you're wearing armor of light, there cannot be any darkness. You're literally expelling the darkness away from yourself. And I love that phrase. So put on the armor of light. And it's in direct contrast to the darkness. Verse 13, he goes right on to say, let us then behave decently as in the daytime. I don't know if you guys grew up with this phrase. Many of you maybe have heard this, but my my parents used to say, nothing good happens after 10 p.m. You guys ever heard that? That's not totally true. I'm like, so many great things have happened after 10 p.m. Like, I don't want to get into it, but it's been awesome. But at the same time, there's a sense like nighttime is different kind of activity than daytime, right? If you're doing something in the dark, there's, there's an opportunity to hide. 
Now, obviously, we're not just talking like physically in the dark, but like metaphysically, spiritually, like when we do things and we want to hide those things, those are day, not daytime activities, right? It's nighttime versus the daytime. In the daylight, those things, if you brought the things you were doing at night into the day, it would look really bad or shameful or just like weird. Or you're like, wow, it's not quite the same thing as I thought it was in the, in the darkness. And so Paul uses this analogy of, of nighttime and nighttime activities. He actually doesn't leave it up to us to be like, what do you guys think? He actually gives us a very definitive list right here in the passage. He says, so what does it mean? He says, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. These are big words. These are like, whoa, I feel like I just got like, like slapped a little bit. But really he gives us three categories. And this is not a, when I said definitive, it's not definitive of like all the bad things you could do in your life. There are, that's probably more than I could say today. This is just a small list that helps us understand what is Paul talking about. So he gives us really three categories. The first is carousing and drunkenness, which I just reframed to say it's losing control to a substance or an experience, right? To give yourself over to a substance or experience to be like, I'm going to let that thing control me. Sexual immorality or debauchery is really to lose control to your own sensual desires, to say, I'm going to please myself and whatever it needs. I'm going to give my body what it wants. Or dissension and jealousy is really to lose then control to your own ego, all three of these things, it's just losing control to something else. You may not struggle with any of these things, but I bet at some point you struggle with losing control or trying to control too much. Whatever it might be, Paul is saying, don't lose control. Don't give yourself over to something else. Stop being distracted. It's time to wake up. You've been sleeping. It's time to wake up. You see, the world, they love to tell us, like, go for it. Do you. Whatever makes you happy yeah, that's going to be a good thing for you. And that sounds great. I'm like, I would like to do whatever makes me happy. Absolutely. The problem is the things I do that, that the world tells me makes me happy rarely make me happy. Usually it makes me feel more empty. It makes me feel out of control. It makes me feel a little dead inside. It makes me feel guilty. It makes me feel like I don't know if that's actually true life and true living. Right? This idea of YOLO mindset. You guys remember YOLO? You only live once. It was a thing a while back. You only live once, so live your life. Just go for it. Do it. The problem is that that YOLO lifestyle is saying, don't deny yourself anything. And yet it goes in direct contrast to what God would say. Back to Romans 12.1, right in the beginning of this, of this uh, uh, series. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Living sacrifices means living, right? So we're, we're living into it. But a sacrifice is usually something that's been killed to put on an altar, to give to something else, to be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. And then holy means to be set apart. It's put aside for a different purpose. Are we living as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God? Or are we living to say, I'm a living sacrifice for myself, pleasing to myself, this is great. And even though it seems limiting or counterintuitive, and I was just like, here's the list of rules, guys, and you follow these things, and like, that's what you have to do, that would feel limiting. But I love Jesus' words because he, he reframes what it means to be a sacrifice. Matthew 16, he says this. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will actually find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The stakes are high. 
Jesus says, you want to live a life for yourself? You can, absolutely. But at what cost? What are you going to gain by living for yourself versus what are you going to gain by living for Christ? And that's the thing that I love about Jesus is that he doesn't just tell us to do things because he's like, I'm God and just do it. He says, do it because you're going to gain freedom and joy and a new perspective and a new life, something that you could never imagine. It's like what Sean was talking about with the lady of generosity. She's like, I don't even think I I can give anymore, but I feel like I should and I feel like God would like me to and and I'm going to do it. And she walked in faith and God blessed her more than she could ask or imagine. You see, we think that a life of, of self-discipline and a life of, of self-denial is actually going to lead to like more pain for ourselves and, and death, and it's not going to be fun. But I got to tell you guys, the life of self-denial, of living for Jesus, is better than you could ever imagine. Because you're living for something greater than yourselves. And actually, when you do, you begin to see fruit, things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. You begin to see your life transformed internally, and then you transform your world externally, your marriage, your relationships, your job, your workplace, your family. Everything around you becomes made new because Jesus is making you new on the inside. So we want to say self-denial is not something that we we want to go towards, but honestly, that is the only way that you're going to be transformed, is saying, in light of Jesus coming back, how am I making myself a living sacrifice? How am I walking into this. And Paul, in this, this message here, he makes it very clear. Again, he says, put off those things and don't do those things and then put on something else. So the first thing he says is put off, right? Put off the deeds of darkness. 1 John 1, 5 through 6 says, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't live out the truth. We're lying if we're saying we're walking in the light, but we're actually walking in the darkness. And so when he says put off, it actually makes me think of of this jacket here. It's like, it's literally like, just take the jacket off. Like this represents the darkness. He's like, take it off and just like throw it away. Burn it if you have to. Get rid of it, put it off. There is no more darkness in you. Put it to the side. And instead walk, don't walk towards it, walk away from it. It's this idea of repentance, right? Walking away from something. Another term for repentance and another way we would describe it is actually say to renew your mind. To repent is to renew your mind or change your mind. Does that sound familiar? Romans 12 too. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the way that we do that is we put aside the deeds of darkness and we walk away and we say, God, I'm gonna walk towards you instead. We're gonna put it off. And really what we're talking about here is an identity thing. You guys understand the word identity. It means we're, we're defining ourselves by something. This is who I am. I have a, a nephew, and we like to hang out in the pool during the summertime, and, and we, he's the, he was like five, and so he goes around the side of the pool, and he holds the wall, right? He holds the wall, and he's like always going around, and we're like, oh, and come into the middle of the pool. You've got a life vest on. You've got floaties. Like, it's going to be so fun. And you know what he says? He says, no, I'm a wall guy. He just said, I'm a wall guy. And he just stays on the wall. Like as if like by saying he's a wall guy, he's like justifying. He's just like, no, I'm a wall guy. Like this is my identity. I'm a wall guy. Well, I had to say as a cool uncle, I've gotten him to be a middle of the pool guy. So like kudos to me, but he's no longer a wall guy. And what Paul is saying is here, don't be a deeds of darkness person. Don't be a daytime person or daylight, a, a, a nighttime person. Be a day person. Change your identity. And so the second thing he says is put off the deeds of darkness and then put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't just live in this limbo of like, I don't know. It's like, he says, you got to choose. Put aside the deeds of darkness and then put on the light. You are in Christ now. This is who you are. You are a new person. Live as if you are a new person. 
And he says here in verse 14, rather, instead of doing these, putting off the deeds of darkness, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about how you can gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, thinking about gratifying the desires of the flesh, flesh is a word uh, in the original language that means really like the something that is in war with the spirit. It's this something that, that we have inside of us. We're all made of flesh and blood. We are all human. And yet it's constantly at war with the spirit. You guys get that, you know right? So the idea Paul talks about, he's like, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do. Like, there's a constant battle going on. But he's saying, what we need to do is put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light, put on Christ. And the only way to overcome the flesh is through focusing on the Spirit. The only way to combat the flesh is to say, well, I'm not going to go towards that. I'm going to go towards something else. And you put on the Spirit. And one of the best places we can go, there's so many scriptures to say, how do you put on Christ? What does that actually mean? But I love the fruits of the spirit in Galatians and I've referenced them earlier, but Galatians 5, 22, this is how you can clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. The fruit of the spirit, it's love and it's joy, it's peace, it's forbearance, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these things, there is no law. So those who belong to Jesus Christ, they have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, now let us keep in step with the Spirit. Don't gratify the desires of the flesh, but instead put on the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. And it's a word that we said at the beginning, but it's this word intentionality. This is what it's going to take. The day is almost here. It's actually right at the door. How intentional are you living? And I can ask you that because I've been asking myself this all week long. And the answer has kind of made me depressed. Not, that, not really that intentionally. I'm just trying to make it through life, guys. I'm just, I got a lot going on, you know? There's things. I, I got my hangups. I got, like, life stuff. Like, there's so much happening in my life that I want to I keep the things of the flesh because those things are at least comfortable and they're patterns that I know. And it's like, I know how to control things. I know how to, like, you know, take care of stuff. But walking with the Spirit, it takes intentionality. And what it's going to take for you guys is to, is to say, today I'm going to wake up. Maybe I've been sleeping a little bit. I don't know, spiritually speaking. I've just been like kind of floating through life. I'm just saying it doesn't really seem to matter. I'm just gonna live my life. And I know God's there and he'll come around at some point, right? And when he's here, we'll be good. But I love what Paul's saying. It's like, it's, it's past time. It's not like, yeah, it's coming. It's like now, just now. What would it look like? And it's not just so much an order. I think of it more as an invitation. Like, what if? What if you woke up tomorrow or you walked out the door right now and you said, how can I live intentionally for Jesus? How can whatever's holding me down, how can I put that to the side and put on Christ instead? What is that going to look like? So the question that you can all ask yourselves is, how am I going to live differently in light of Jesus's return? This might be a great question to write down, take a picture of. How am I going to live differently in light of Jesus's return? Maybe instead of losing control to that vice or addiction, you're going to seek to walk in the spirit, to put on Christ. Maybe instead of giving control over to something that, that's going to have power over you, you're going to say, I'm going to put that aside and I'm going to put on Christ. It's not a one and done deal. It's a consistent thing. I'm going to put that to the side. I'm going to put on Christ. I'm going to put that to the side. I'm going to put on Christ. And it's daily. It's minute by minute, hour by hour action. Because you won't get here by inaction. Inaction leads you right back to where you were. But action is taking a step and saying, I'm going to put on Christ in my life. Maybe instead of adding dissension or, or disunity in relationship or family, you're like, I'm actually going to put on Christ and put on his peace. Maybe you know you're going to Vegas next week and you're like, instead of doing what I would usually do, I'm going to put on Christ and it's going to look differently. 
Or maybe you're going into work and you're like, I know I'm going to have this hard conversation. Or I'm going to have to have this, this thing or this altercation. Or I'm, I'm going to see these people and they're, they're the influences that I know I don't want in my life. Whatever it is, do you have this intentionality to put aside the deeds of darkness and to put on the armor of light, to put on Christ? Now, the thing is, I know you guys don't need me to fill in the blanks for you. You guys know what this is. I'm trying to paint a picture of what this looks like. But ultimately, that's what you have these cards here for. So these cards that are sitting on your seed, they're orange, some of them are white. And you're going to have an opportunity just in a minute to just think about, because I know God's speaking to you. He's telling you something. He's lighting up something. It's something that you're just like, I know this has been, this has been eating me up. I've been, I've been holding on to this thing. I don't know what to do with this. Maybe today the invitation is to just wake up, put it to the side, and put your clothes on. It's an invitation. So we're going to take a moment, and you're going to write those down. And then after you guys are done writing, you're going to take them. There's a, there's a bucket wall over there, and there's a, a wall right here of buckets. And you're going to take this thing, whatever you write down, whatever you just feel like God's been putting on your heart to, like, put this to the side. Take this off. Put it down. You're going to just drop it in a bucket. Literally just like, boop. And then there's nine buckets that have the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, etc. And you just get to think, God, like, which one would you want me to put on this week? What is going to help me with what I'm putting down? And I want you to pick up one of those, and this is now going to be your reminder this week to say, every time you wake up, if you wake up in the morning, whether it's 5 a.m. or 10 a.m., you wake up and this thing's sitting right there. And you're going to have an opportunity to live with intentionality, to say, Jesus, I want to put you on today. And you can read this verse and you can say, now, would you go with me? Because the one thing that I, I do need to mention is that this isn't something you can just do on your own. It's not just like, ah, if I just grit it out, I'm going to be better. It's all a work of the Spirit. It's all a work of the, the redemption of Jesus in your life. Transformation happens when we trust God, but you have to be intentional. You have to take step towards him. It's a partnership together that he's calling us to. So right now, I'm just going to pray. And as I pray, just be thinking, God, what are you saying to me? And then write down what you want. And then when we, we get up to do worship, you guys can get up and go about, about, about the room. But Jesus, we know that you're with us. Ultimately, Jesus, we know that you love us. None of this is out of guilt and condemnation. All of this is out of your desire, Lord, to see us live amazing, transformed lives. God, I pray right now for boldness for people who are, are saying, I know that's a thing for me. I don't know what to do with it. Would you give them boldness just to write it down? God, I pray for conviction and I pray for your compassion and your love. Lord, would we know that you're with us in all of this and would we walk according to your spirit, clothing ourselves with you, Jesus.